Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. All right, Jalen, it's good to be recording again with you for the podcast. How are you doing? How's your week been going? It's been going well. You know, our kids are hopefully, I think, settling into their homeschool schedule. We're getting things rolling there. One of the things that we're actually talking about, Jenny and I are trying to figure out like when to introduce, when or if we should introduce allowance. So we've been asking some of the parents in our church who have kids who are a little older than ours when they started introducing allowance or if they do allowance. And so we have not started doing that and we're not sure that we want to do that yet. I mean, we have five kids and so, but our kids have been asking, they've been looking for ways to make money basically. <laughs> and so now in the Midwest, we've got, you know, leaves falling, we've got snow coming. There's plenty of opportunities for them to make money that way, you know, on top of the other chores that they already have. Uh, so that's something that we're thinking through. And so if we have listeners who have advice on that, please reach out. Wait, but doesn't giving them allowance doesn't, or doing the chores or raking or all that, isn't that supposed to offset what they pay you in rent? Is that how parents do things? Yeah, I think that's probably true. But their cries for, for money are starting to wear on us. So, <laughs> But yeah, but how are you doing? How's your week going? Uh, it's, been, it's been pretty good. You know, our church is beginning. We've, we've been in conversations about regathering. And this Sunday actually is going to be our first live stream service. And that's kind of weird. Like we haven't done this in since I've been here. They haven't done it in six months. And you know, I just feel like anytime you do something new, it gets complicated. So it's got me a little bit more just worried about how things are going to go. But I think one thing that I appreciate about the team that I'm on is that, that there is a team. And so there's people that have expertise in different areas and I'm, I don't have to worry about certain things or logistical things. I can focus on the piece of the service that I'm responsible for. And, and so that's something I really appreciate. But, you know, on top of it being our first live stream service, it's also going to be combined services with like multiple congregations, different languages. So again, that just adds to the excitement, but also sometimes excitement adds a little bit of stress. So, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. Well, it's good that you have a team to work with. I think that's, that's really key. That's important. That's something I think that we're going to touch on today with our guest. Uh, Joey Chen is our guest today on the podcast. Joey is at Sunset Church in San Francisco. Just a personal connection for us. Joey and I attended teen camp, which is a church-run camp in the Chicago area. And he grew up in Michigan. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, but we were at this camp together. We were actually in the same Bible study and we actually did a skit together. And uh, I don't remember, we were, we were trying to dig up some photos of it and, and kind of jog our memory on it. But he reminded us that he had orange hair back then, some frosted tips probably. That's a joy that I remember. But then after that, we kind of lost touch. And so now it's good to have him back on here. Good to see you, Joey. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to see you both or be with you on this. And just awesome to have this conversation. I love it. You know, when Jalen and I started this podcast, we didn't know that we would be reuniting people after 20 years apart, but I'm, I'm glad that we're able to do that on this podcast. And I will say we did not find those photos. So if anyone has photos from Teen Camp 2000 of Jalen during his skit and look for uh, Joey Chen, see if they're in that together, send that to the podcast or message us on our social media so that we can get a hold of those. But 
if you could just give us a quick overview of, you know, how God has led you in ministry. What's your ministry journey been? What have you been up to in that time? Back when we were at teen camp, I was just about to begin that journey of exploring a call to ministry. And so part of that was choosing to go to a Christian college because at the time I felt like I didn't know what else to do. And going to a Christian school definitely made my non-Christian dad really mad. So I felt like that's a step in the right direction in some ways. <laughs> uh, if I'm making him mad and he's different values. And I went to a Christian college in Ohio called Cedarville and um, started as an engineer, but ended up taking some Bible classes and fell in love with that and said, well, I'm just going to take this anyways because I find it more enjoyable. And that kind of got me in a path. But what actually was crucial to confirming the call was I did an internship in Houston, Texas at Houston Chinese Church. And mainly because the lead pastor or senior pastor at the time was doing a conference or a retreat for my home church back in Michigan. And my parents told him that, well, my mom told him, uh, my mom was the only Christian at the time, she, uh, that I'm thinking about ministry. So he's like, hey, you should come and help out our church in the summer. And they brought me down and I served in their junior high ministry, just like I did at WCAC too, where John was serving. And uh, that kind of got me on a path towards ministry because I asked the pastors that one summer, one question is like, you need to tell me if I should do ministry or not, because I don't know. I don't know anyone else who spent time with me in this context. I have no one to tell me if I should do this or not. And that actually was crucial. I had uh, William Shea and Fred Tao and the current English pastor there who's there now uh, was a youth pastor at the time, Jason Tarn. Uh, they all kind of affirmed that. And so that kind of set me on a trajectory towards ministry. And I went to Chicago to do seminary because, you know, I still didn't know what to do. So I went to more school, right? So you go to, go to MDM. I actually, I, I tell a story sometimes, but like I was, I was so young when I started, I sat in my first class, very first class, first day, I was sitting next to a Chinese older man and one of my other classmates in the class, you know, says to me, oh, it's so great that you're in the visiting class with your dad today. No. I was like, no, 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 I'm in this class too. I just happened to sit next to the other Asian guy in this class. Because <laughs> I was like, I think I just turned 21 when I started. So good and bad. Start, if anyone listening to this is thinking about ministry, we could talk about that. Or you talk to John and Jalen, uh, going to seminary when you're young has a lot, some advantages but a lot of disadvantages. So I went to from seminary here to Sunset. So that's a lot before. And I've been here at the same church uh, for 13 years and played different roles in the church from youth ministry to leading the English ministry. And uh, that's got a lot of stories behind that, which I think we'll get into today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. I think that's that's really important to, to be reminded about is that there are guys who are called to ministry and they it's kind of like they know it right away uh, people can, you know, easily identify it. They kind of, you know, broadcast it. But there's so many other guys who it's just, we're, we're taking step by step in faith. And I appreciate that you shared that, that it was kind of that journey of faith of trusting the Lord and then seeking godly counsel. That's so important to remember. As you said, you did make that transition. Um, I didn't mention that you are now the lead English pastor at Sunset. Um, can you describe some of the changes in ministry that you saw or that you experienced when you transition from being a youth pastor to now the lead English pastor? Yeah, maybe to think about it internally and then what happened in the church. Like internally, I actually didn't go to this church or the start as a youth ministry with any explicit intention that I would be a lead pastor at some time. I didn't know if I would do youth ministry indefinitely, but I didn't have any intention of kind of trying to change that. I was really, I loved youth ministry. I uh, loved working with middle school, high school. I, I always struggled with little kids, but Middle school and high school tended to be a, a sweet flat spot for me. But as I got more involved in trying to address cultural issues as well as like structural things that happened in the church, I realized that 
I wanted to affect greater change for the church. And you can do a lot in the youth ministry. You can disciple a next generation. You can impact families. You can, you can, you, if you have preaching opportunities and other leadership opportunities, you definitely do a lot of pastoral change. But the way our church is structured, and every church is slightly different, it really makes a big difference positionally if you're in a position where you're actually the owner of the culture and you're the owner of what's going to actually shape what the church is like. And that in our church, the youth pastor, and I would say probably most churches, the youth pastor is not going to be able to do that. So as God kind of gave me that internal desire, I realized that that's something I would need to probably pursue at some time. Circumstantially, I came to the church. I thought it was going to be, I actually came because I was extremely excited that I would have a, another mentor because I kind of sought after mentors. That's why I came here. I tried to find one in Chicago and it's not to say there wasn't any, it just wasn't a good fit for many of the ones I sought out at the time. And I came here to get a mentor and he was kind of at the tail end of his ministry. He had been here for 20 years and, uh, but he was trying to, but he, I didn't realize that he was kind of at his end when I came here. Uh, I thought he would be here longer, but uh, because of that, and he left. Uh, and actually I came right in the biggest transition of our church's history at the time was like the senior pastor of the last about 20 years was in the transition of leaving. And he was actually a senior of both the Chinese and English. So that's the last time we had someone overseeing everything. And we had a new English lead pastor at the time. And he was also in the transition of leaving uh, not long of getting here. So I basically became one of the few staff, period, let alone the English ministry at the time. So anyone who's in a ministry position, just to encourage you, like, if you love that church and you can stay there and you have the support, like, you stay long enough, you'll be the lead English pastor. <laughs> uh, half joking, but almost truth in some ways, especially in Asian churches. Uh, you may not want to wait that long, but uh, I had a desire and it was a middle transition. Actually, I had that desire and they weren't ready for me. So actually they hired a different guy at first and I served with him and I served with him for a couple of years and I was kind of still nurturing that call. Like I, I kind of want to be a part of greater change in the local church and I was starting to pursue and look at different opportunities. But right as I was doing that, I was honest with him about it. And so I told him, you know, I like working with you, but I'm, I kind of want to lead a church. At this, I'm kind of feeling that this around like five years. And then he left. So it's like the guy who we did just hired to take that position was Linda leaving. And he actually helped me a lot. So that transition was made much more smoother because he has a very well-respected older pastor, really supported the idea of this church older church passing the baton to me, a younger pastor. If he had not been there and helped me with that, it would have been much more difficult. How did you, because you said that you had the desire to step into that role, that the Lord was beginning to form that in you, mm -hmm. but the church wasn't ready. And so how did you navigate that time and, and kind of internally, were you waiting for God to open up a door somewhere else? Were you you know, you just weren't sure he didn't, he had not given the call to move yet. And so you, you just stayed, you know, what was some of the thought process in that? Yeah. So in that period where we didn't have like someone above me, a lead pastor, and I, the desire for me to want to, and then it filled it with someone else. I, it was a little bit of internal struggle because, you know, it's something I wanted, but I was also willing, because I had, was part of selecting him. I was willing, I, I got a chance to pick my boss in a sense. So like, I, it was at least someone I recognized would be a good fit for our church, but it's still like that internal struggle because once you start wanting to do something it's you have to wrestle with that at the same time too like i'm always skeptical of my ambitions in some ways i try to be honest with those who i'm close to because my ambitions because i tend to be a more ambitious person like are usually flawed or sinfully driven too so like it can be 
good or incredibly terrible or driven by pride. And much of it was at the time. That's why I was like, you know, I was like, I was like, like 29 at the time when, I, when he came. So I was like, there's no way this older established church, such an Asian Chinese church, right, is going to give it to me then. So I had to submit to that. And I was okay with that. I was still very happy with the youth ministry. But about a year of working with him, that's when I was like, I think he's going to be good for the church. I have this internal desire. I That's when I started looking for another position. And I was honest with him the entire time about like, you know, this is my desire and you're, you're going to be here. So like, I want you to know this uh, and love the church because I didn't want to just leave the church either. So I was honest about that. I started looking. I looked back in Chicago again. I applied. Uh, I applied a few couple here and I don't think I actually interviewed anywhere. God kept closing doors. And that kind of was for me, like, just stay until he opens one. I wasn't willing to just quit. I was still searching. Uh, I kind of, for better or for worse, I kind of have this idea that I should be pulled away or called away based upon initiative rather than just, I know I just can't do it anymore. Uh, there wasn't, it never got to that point at that season, at least. Uh, I wasn't never at a point where I felt like I needed to quit. One of the things that you mentioned earlier on was being now in a lead role, getting the opportunity to kind of set the culture of the church. Uh, what were some of the challenges as you transitioned from sort of being on the team where you're kind of helping to support how the culture is being shaped to now being the one shaping the culture? Is actually understanding the, the power dynamics of the church. So I was naive, right? Like you take a lead pastor role, you think, and this is true of every church. I think it's unique in every church in some ways, but like it was naive, naivete, like not understanding there are, I didn't plant the church. So like there's long-term elders, long-term culture. And so like, yes, I wanted to shape it. I, I could see the things that I would love to tweak, completely remove or add, but I didn't, I was naive to not really grasp the power structure. I think we tend to think about ministry and power and we kind of look at power as a four letter word or only negatively. And you can definitely wield it negatively, but you have to understand power in churches to really get it, how to, how to lead and really kind of address change in the way that's actually going to be beneficial uh, for the church. So like, for example, like uh, there was a leadership culture issue that existed and every church has one. So if you have one, you can imagine this, but like I, addressed it so like zealously that like I realized I was blowing someone up while trying to actually correct a problem and yes this person actually needed to change this particular behavior but I, I wasn't treating this person as a, a brother in Christ and someone I wanted to care about I just wanted to put him in his place and so that actually made it difficult for me to lead and I and then you create these cycles of like attention that needs to be given to a particular area that you really can't even work then you don't have enough energy emotions to actually work on the change. So that's some of the struggles. Also just realizing that my ambitions didn't match my, my abilities. I think I tend to be much more people related. That's why I love the youth ministry. Like I want to be with people a lot. Like that's why COVID is like terrible right now. Uh, <laughs> but like, and our church is like super careful. So like everyone's kind of still very cautious about in-person gatherings, but my ability to lead through and to kind of build up other people in a way that extended across the whole church needed to be worked on. So that's why eventually I, I needed to work on the very, the biggest change I think I made in our church was investing in and putting in place new elders for the first time in like two decades. But it took some time to work on that. Now that, that was actually what I needed to do. And I started doing these other things at first, but that actually should have been what I kind of cast vision around first and worked on. And that, and even though the first round that I did it, I only established like one new, el no, two new elders, one who was, 
really deeply impactful. So like that made a huge difference in our church. How was that received, I guess, early on when you were maybe thinking about making changes? How did the relationships with with your elders change? Or even how did they change with maybe the parents of your students? Because like you had gone from working with, with young people and probably their families, and then now you're in a different role. Was, was it hard to navigate those relationship changes? From a congregational level, just like people, like the non-leadership level, it was actually wasn't so bad. I think because I had weathered so many transitions early on in my ministry, like I had preaching engagements across the whole church more regularly than I probably would have had. And so, and I was spending a lot of time with the parents beforehand. So the one change is, yes, I wasn't as accessible or present in certain areas, but I think trust was there because of the the years. I was a youth pastor about five and a half years. And so those years and being with them and being with the parents uh, in that season, actually, and then preaching as the youth pastor actually gave me a lot of that credibility congregationally. And then the biggest struggles were the eldership though. So yes, they were very supportive of the idea, you know, in theory, but then you, you start to hand it off to me and actually try and introduce these things. Uh, it's much more difficult, but it, it was initially much more difficult because I, you know, tried to focus on this one cultural issue and this one individual who I saw as the, the poster child of this problem. And I created conflict in a way that, that w- didn't help my case, essentially. So that why, that's why initially when I became the lead pastor, it actually was even more difficult. I made it more difficult on myself. Luckily, they didn't spend that time trying to get rid of me. They still kind of gave me, they didn't really help me anymore, but at least they didn't try and take me out. So there was still some sense in which uh, things were able to be worked on. But initially it was much more difficult because I was 30 when I took it over. You know, you know, I don't think you have, you have the energy and the zeal beat out of you until like maybe you're like Jalen and I were talking about it, right like when you get pushing to 40 you feel like you're more tired now but you still kind of feel crazy at 30 so uh, I was a little crazy now seven eight years into that I guess how have you seen it change uh, with a new team of of elders new team of leaders that you're working with I guess how long did it take to see that shift and and what's it been like from a staff level things have changed so so almost every other staff person in our church came in after me, except for one person who works in our operations staff. And so I've had either a direct responsibility for hiring them and then working with me directly, or I've been in part of the process to hire them for like the Chinese ministry or for helping us in the office. And so that's been a learning curve. I I tend to be a a task, even though I'm people person, like when it comes to like work, I'm pretty like, I like check boxes and tasks and I like to have a zero emails in my inbox if that gives you any picture to my personality. So it's a little crazy in some ways, but like I, I had to learn how to not impose my, my work thinking philosophy on every single person and learning how to, because, you know, for example, creative people, I don't work like that. Right. They, or, you know, people who prioritize different things. Like my wife has, like, if you look at her, like a little badge on her iPhone and it tells you how many unread emails are on it. It drive, I can't look at her phone because that will drive, it drives me insane. There's like 17,000 unread emails there. Well, I have zero. So that tells you the extreme differences of personality there. Uh, and that in a marriage, I, I think I, I can get that. Otherwise we would, you know, not be married. But in a workplace, I, when you're in control of something or you're managing people, you have to nurture and figure out how to best work with various personalities and figure out how to best work with them in a way that actually builds the church and not just you are imposing your will and your personality and the way you want to do things on every single person. There obviously has to be some standard, but trying to make you duplicate it in every single person in the church is going to create a really terrible church. And I had to learn how to work that out on me and also just care. Like I, I can extend care to 
congregational members, but like I didn't know how to do that with other staff, especially since many of them were my age too. It's like, it, it's a it's still kind of something I'm navigating today. Like, how do you care for peers, even though you may be an authority or pastor over them? Like, I don't want to just come in and be like, oh, I'm your, your spiritual authority, right? But at the same time, I need to extend initiative and care and love for them. So from a staff perspective, things have definitely uh, changed. Eldership wise, actually, it's not as dramatic because I've only put in place maybe four elders in my time as lead pastor. And some of them have moved away, uh, the ones that I put in place for good reasons. Uh, like one of them is back in Chicago now. Actually, he's a campus pastor at Church of the Beloved now in uh, Wicked Park. And so, and that's a great joy of mine, even though it was like the saddest day of ministry when I had to send him away. Like I was crying on stage and like bawling because it's like, it was such, he was my good friend. He was leaving. I was like, you are abandoning me. You, why are you going back? Chicago doesn't need more churches. Come on. That's what I was saying to him. <laughs> we need more churches here. We need churches everywhere. Yes. But yeah, that, that has changed, but not really because we've had longtime elders. Our elders serve as elders as long as they're faithfully serving as elders. The board who are the ones who actually vote on things actually has terms, but elders stay on for quite a while until they don't want to, or they, you know, they die. And so they still have a lot of say in the culture. And so that there's some, a lot of good to that. We have stability from that. We have faithfulness from that. Change is not a, a strength of ours. So in that kind of culture. So that's something that's still being worked on today. Did I understand right that you got a chance to be very involved in the hiring process, even for the Chinese ministry? Yeah. So when we hire uh, pastors, pastors have to be processed because we consider a pastor elder spiritually equivalent. Uh, pastors have the you know vocational job calling differently. But because of that, we, we are involved in any hiring of anyone who's called a pastor. We're involved in any uh, reviewing of anyone who's put up for eldership cross-congregationally too. So that means there's obviously going to be crazy challenges in that if you have different values and things. But if you can work towards, you know, it actually does help if you're wanting to be one church. And our church's history and intention still is to maintain a oneness across our leadership. That's definitely a very strong value. We don't, we're not one in everything that we do, but at least from a leadership level and vision level, we definitely express oneness there. So that's something I was involved in. Every single Chinese pastor after me, I've been involved in that for better and for worse. I've made some hiring blunders. And sometimes we don't see it until afterwards. You know, I think it is so important for Chinese churches and Chinese heritage churches to pursue that unity with different language cult, uh, congregations that we have. How have you sought to develop meaningful relationships across the language congregations? You know, obviously, if you're if you're helping to bring on a pastor for the Chinese congregation, mm -hmm. hopefully you have some relationship there, right? Hopefully you know sort of what a good fit would look like. How have you? develop that personally and then help your English congregation do that with the Chinese congregation? I probably spent much more of that time on the leadership level. Congregationally, we are actually, if, if you were someone who participated in our English or Chinese congregation, you probably may never even know what's going on across congregationally because we tend to do things service-wise separately. We do unite around engaging our city and mission trips, but like from a worship service, we don't do congregational like joint services anymore. Lots of reasons behind that. That could be another whole podcast by itself. We definitely, I spent a lot of time on a leadership level. That's being a lead pastor or someone who's trying to shape culture. I have, I, I spent a lot of time, like I mentioned power earlier. I, if you kind of have a sense of power, if you, if you, if I visit a church members meeting or board meeting, it'll take me one meeting to figure out who's in charge or at least general idea. And actually, when you figure that out, you have to spend time with that person, whether or not that's someone that seems scary to you or not, or someone who may still see you as, you know, their child or not. Like I, I would, ha I have to pursue them 
uh, and get to know them, at least at a level where they trust my biblical faithfulness and my desire for good for the whole church. They have to know that you want what's best cross-congregationally. The minute that you allow us versus them to exist, that's actually when things are going to break down. So you have to work really hard at actually building time to spend time with them. Like there's a great, uh, you know, examination question if someone's listening or I ask myself too, like to kind of gauge where we are as leadership, like, do I know how to pray for an elder or pastor and the other congregation? Like specifically beyond just like, he's going to preach this week. I should pray for his sermon. Like if I don't know, if we get in an argument, there's potential for there to be rift that's not relationally built. Because when you know them and you know how to pray for them, and you actually are praying for them. When you actually disagree, you're going to disagree differently. You're going to disagree genuinely out of love, uh, not because you're, you know, you don't know who they are and you're just attacking them or you feel like you are deeply attacked by them. Like, so once I got to know them and I can know how to pray for them and spend meals with some of them, then we actually get really heated. It doesn't mean we don't. We've gotten in very heated conversations and meetings. I, I at least know how to give them the benefit of doubt. And I know that I've had lunch with them and I pray for their child. And like, we're just going to not agree on this particular item. And we can be both very passionate about that. And that actually helps me disagree with them in a, in a loving manner. Wow. Yeah. That, that's such a great piece of advice for, I think, anyone in ministry, not just in, not just in Chinese churches, but I think just in the church is really seeking to, to know and care for the people that you're serving alongside. And that goes a long way in, in bridging divides and, you know, healing wounds. I think, um, I wish, I wish I could send this podcast back in time, you know, a couple of years, not a couple, but many years to when I was starting in ministry. Cause I think that would have been, um, just really healthy advice to hear right away rather than having to learn it in the process. You know, it would have been a lot simpler to learn it from someone else on day one than to learn it in the process. But I, you know, I wanted to go back and just ask you, cause you, you've said that for you, you prioritize mentoring when you got to sunset, right? That's what you were really looking for. That's what you kind of consistently yeah. have looked mm-hmm. for. Um, so now you're in this role where you're the mentor, uh, whether, you know, actually, I guess as a lead pastor, you are officially the mentor for, for pretty much everyone on staff. So what are some ways that you've really poured into the people that you've brought on? Like you've had a hand probably in their development. Some of them, I'm sure this might be their first role. You know, what's that look like for you? I, I consistently look for one for myself too. So like I've always sought. So luckily, actually, my elders, when I was becoming a lead pastor, this is somewhat not answering your question, but I think important to say, they made sure that they partnered me with like a, a retired pastor of a Chinese, uh, who is a English pastor of Chinese churches, like a longtime pastor. He was, he's in his eighties now. And like, he was so different than me, but like, it was so good to spend time with him. Cause like, I just needed to hear a, like a level-headed guy who was in ministry for like 40 years in the Chinese church. He served only in Chinese churches for many, many years. But yeah, like he, that, those things have kind of helped me understand how to do it. I'm definitely much better at seeking and wanting mentorship than I am at being a mentor. Uh, I'm I'm still learning uh, how to best invest in people. I think I try and offer friendship and collaboration is one of the things I first start with and value. Like actually, I, I think I try and create an environment in our staff where I don't, I'm not, yes, I'm in charge in some ways, obviously, because I have not only title, but responsibility, but like, because we're all kind of in our, my associate pastor is in his forties and he just turned, he's like 42 now, but the rest of us in our thirties or twenties even. And so like, 
every one of us is in the same life stage and I, I cannot presume that. So I do want to give that like kind of friendship team kind of uh, culture. That's a strength of mine. I've had to learn over time that like I need to think intentionally about like helping them think about what they need and then determining whether or not I can give it to them. Like I've had to identify that I'm not going to be a great counselor for someone who's going through, you know, emotional difficulty and actually, but then I can still be their advocate care, not just say like, Oh, you know, that that's, that's tough. Like suck it up. Like I need to actually then find resources to get them counseling, give them time, uh, evaluate my metrics and how I think about working with that person. Uh, that in a way that can actually benefit them. Those are things I've had to figure out how to best lead a team and mentor them. And just being honest, I'm not going to be able to to be that particular kind of counselor. I, I think I do think generally big picture strategically. So I do try and mentor them to think like that who don't naturally think like that. But then I think the area where I need to grow the most and actually most people need is like, they need like pastoral mentoring more than they need career mentoring. And I think that's an area of weakness of mine that I'm still growing in, but one area I'm just trying to just ask, because I was asked this by a couple of mentors and I'm just trying to be disciplined to ask it. Like you have to ask them about their marriage. Uh, you have to ask about you have to, if they're married uh, and you have to ask them like pointed questions of how, like if you ask someone generically, like how, you, how your walk is or how's your relationship with Jesus, like we've all been in too many accountability groups to like, to know how to get out of answering that question. <laughs> so you have to figure out other ways and everyone's different to actually get them to a place where they're vulnerable enough to share some of those things and whether or not, if they can't share with you, then you need to surround them with someone that they can do that with, uh, whether it's someone within your church or outside. And I, I don't, I'm okay with not being that to every single one, but I know that if that's a need that I have to help them find. Yeah. You know, I, I think just as I'm listening to that, there's so much value in, in the way that you are uh, talking about how to develop your team and just knowing their needs and recognizing where are the places that you can meet those or lead them in those areas. And where are the places where you need to surround them with, with somebody who maybe who does that, that's their strength and your strengths are somewhere else. I think that's really important. I think it doesn't just apply to like a lead pastor and his staff team, but even as I was thinking, when I look back at my time as a youth pastor, there were probably times when I, I had a, a, a youth leader, a volunteer that they needed somebody to walk alongside them. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, like, I think I wanted to be the person that did that, but maybe there were times when I should have looked for somebody else to do that. So, yeah, I appreciate that, that perspective. Do you find that because most of your staff is on a similar life stage or part of the journey that it makes it for a very fun staff to be on? Like, cause you guys are all kind of in the same, same life stage or going through things together or has it made it more challenging because maybe there's a more specific perspective? Definitely makes it fun. I think there's definitely a joy there because our church prior to that had a very old, much older or like longtime staff. And so obviously I can get along with someone who's a, a, on staff who's in their 60s 70s 80s even we never had anyone in their 80s but like I can but like I'm not as naturally going to want to hang out with them in the same way right so they also I don't know if they want to hang out with me uh, but like I think it's also like challenging because we're all like also raising like kids in the stage like it feels like insane like 
like all of us, some, some of our staff actually have, you know, uh, four kids and many kids. And so actually there's this joke in our staff uh, ever since, you know, more staff joined and we started having kids. Actually, once we, they joined, we, we was in a season where all of us were having kids and raising families. But like every year now, someone on staff has had a kid for the last six years, seven years, something like that now, every year, be fruitful, multiply. And that's challenging, I think, because we're all in this weird, like kind of way too busy, way too, you know, overwhelmed uh, kind of stage. So there's a little bit of that. I think, I think that's why, like, you know, throughout the scriptures, you know, Jesus, Paul, they all kind of commend in some ways singleness for ministry. Uh, as if you have that and utilize that, there's definitely a freedom in that that I do not have. And our staff does not have because they have, we have way too many children. Like we get our children's ministry by ourselves, just by our staff is like massive. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate your enjoying and embracing sort of that, that, uh, that growth with your kids. Uh, I think our church is, is similar in that a lot of our leadership and most of our congregation actually were young families. And I think that uh, from a, from a leadership standpoint, it, that, that allows a lot of grace to be shared and to be experienced because people can, can resonate. They can, you know, they feel where you're coming from. Right. And uh, so I appreciate that we get, we get to share grace uh, that way, but we really appreciate a lot of the things that you've shared, a lot of thoughts that you shared. Is there one piece of advice or encouragement that you would uh, give? You've given a lot already, but is there, is there something that you would absolutely say here? Here's one thing that I I do want to share. I want to give as advice to someone that's serving in a Chinese church now. This is not from me. And actually the person who shared it with me probably it's not from him either because the principal is somewhere out there. But like I was at a youth ministry conference in seminary. I think it was in 2006. It was in, in Dallas. And Joseph Sang, I don't know if you guys know him or anyone listening to this know him. He's now at Vision Church in New York. I don't remember anything else from that conference except for what he said. And what he said, I don't have no idea what the context of his talk was. But he said, and I will always remember, and I think this is worth sharing with more people. He says, in your first ministry, stay five years. Don't do anything else. Just stay five years. If they don't fire you, you don't fail somehow. Just stay five years. And then you can maybe do some ministry. <laughs> uh, and then he said, if you stay five years, and then at that point, either, you know, God, you know, evaluate, stay, go somewhere else. But if you can stay, stay 10. And he said, if you're going to stay 15 years, then you ask at that point, do I just stay here, period? Or God has a thing up for me. And actually, whether you use those years or not, like, I think perseverance and staying is such an important thing. Like, I think there's general research that people have done out there about pastoral uh, tenure and the health of a church and the health of a ministry. Like you, you can't do ministry unless you stay. And so obviously you, sometimes, unfortunately people fail in ministry or sometimes it's really a situation where you get fired or something like that. Or really there's just some kind of major non-negotiable issue that occurs and you have to leave. But if you know some of those things don't happen as bad as it is and often it can be like like stay like i think it's worth staying that's something that every year i look back at it now it's like i've been here for 13 years i'm like if i there was there was like a years i remember just like wanting to quit and like i'm so glad i did not act on that in a brash or or sinful manner and so that's why i would encourage people in ministry and especially i think people who are in Chinese churches understand or Asian churches get like that, that hard, difficult path you're on. So if you are struggling to stay, I, you know, I pray for you and 
I would love to pray for you, actually, if you, you want to reach out or talk. Uh, just stay. That's what I would say. Wow. Thanks, Joey. We appreciate just that wisdom and uh, your candor, sharing your own story, your own journey. I really enjoyed this conversation. So uh, Jalen and I are both really thankful for your time. And I, I feel like definitely I want you to come back on and because there are other things I want to hear about what you guys are doing at Sunset and being in the city of San Francisco. Yeah. So we'll have to find some time to get you back on the podcast with us. But thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.